following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. I'm in trouble. And I've been hiding. You've all been in trouble. (laughs) Do you know where to hide? Jesus, in John 16, 32 and 33, said, Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, it has now come that you'll be scattered, each one to his own. You'll leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation or trouble, pressing, pressure. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know, we tend to think of tribulation as being something that um, happens in Afghanistan or it's happening in Iraq, and it is. Those things are very, very real. There's things going on all over the world where it can cost you your life, literally, to name the name of Jesus. But I want to suggest to you that there is a tribulation that comes from affluence. There's a tribulation that can come when everything is just so good. When things just, you know, uh, the world is just clipping along for you and you can just blend right in and you can look just like everybody else and you don't cause anybody waves I want to suggest to you that you're in trouble when you go that way. When you were born again, you were born again into a war. Are you hearing me? There is a very real war that is being fought. And the thing that is being fought for is for the souls of men and women. The war that we're in is being fought for the souls of of your sons, your daughters, your brothers, your sisters, your moms, your dads. The war that we have been born again into, when we have been born again, actually has a pressure and a resistance from the world. And if we don't understand that, then things happen to us and we just can't figure out what's going on. I've often said it's really a lot like we're trying to ascend a descending, a crowded descending escalator. Have you ever tried that? (laughs) You know, the thing of it is, that's a really good picture of what's happening. The inertia of the world is on a descending escalator. It's going down, down. And we're on the escalator trying to go the the opposite direction. The thing of it is, we are not called in our own power to ascend this escalator. And not only that, God has already made a way for us to get up that escalator. I just finished a six-week course on the book of Romans. And, you know, in teaching that, I probably got more out of it than anybody else did. But I was so aware of how much God has done to set us up for success. 
I am amazed at the lengths through which God, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, has set us up for success. I mean, Peter says that we've actually been given the divine nature. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit. You are one with Christ. Do you know how much you are one with Christ through the redemptive work of the cross? It's not like he's up there somewhere and you're down here struggling. No, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have pressures. You're going to have trials, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And what he's saying there is, I have overcome the world. Come on and live from my victory. Live in what I've already done. That I did this on your behalf. I didn't just do it so that I could be the only one in heaven. (laughs) I mean, Jesus longs for you. And he longs to see you succeed. He longs to see you overcome. Now, we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. How many know that right now we are in a war in the United States of America? Truth is, there's always been war. But right now, we're in a war against what I would call secular humanism. It's a war that is fought from the position of human intellect, that the human intellect is higher than anything else, and that they have no moral obligation to a God because man is God. There's no authority higher than man. How many see that running through everything that you see from commercials on television to what's being taught in our schools, what's being taught in our colleges. And unfortunately, I've heard some of that being taught from pulpits in the church in the United States of America. This is a war. This is a war. And the thing that is being gone after is the souls of men. I'm not just talking about the eternal souls of men that yes, that's the ultimate plan of the wicked one, of the enemy, the God of this world, the God of this age, whatever you want to title him. The ultimate desire is to bring people to hell for an eternity with him. One of the things that I learned in case you've been hearing some teachings going on about, well, God would never send people to hell. He's just love. Can I just say, read Romans chapter 1b, chapter 2, and chapter 3a. In there, the wrath of God is mentioned five times. Ten times in the book of Romans. Twenty-eight times in the New Testament where the wrath of God is mentioned. And it comes upon unbelievers, those who have rejected all the evidence of nature that speaks and declares the glory of God. The wrath of God is going to come upon sons of disobedience. You, you're sitting here today, if you have named the name of Christ, you're not called to the wrath of God. Jesus took wrath upon himself. In fact, 
when Jesus made this statement, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's John chapter 16. So he's on his way from the Last Supper. He's on the way, walking down to, through the Kidron Brook, the Brook Kidron, and up onto the Mount of Olives. Okay, so the, the Temple Mount is over here. He's, he's walking, you know, and he's teaching his disciples on the way. It's there where he talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And apart from me, you don't have any life. You can't bear fruit apart from me. He was probably walking past a vineyard and was able to actually pick up a grape or a clump of grapes and show how the vine related to the branches. And so he's teaching them. And he's actually on his way to what he knew would be the darkest hour of his life. He knew that he was in a few moments that he was going to become the blackness of all humankind. He knew that he was going to actually become your sin and he was going to become my sin. And he knew that the wrath of God was going to be poured out upon him. He knew there would be a separation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How many know that was tribulation? It was a tribulation that he sweat drops of blood in the garden. Somebody mentioned that today, that there were drops of blood that were sweat in the garden, that there was this, this, this thing that Jesus knew that he was going to face. And just because he was the son of God, it wasn't a cakewalk. It was tribulation. It was trial. It was pressing. It was something that he needed a power beyond himself to be able to overcome. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit to help him up that escalator and to fulfill his destiny. There's a place that we can live from. When we're talking about the secret place, we're talking about the hiding place. I want to suggest to you that that isn't a place we visit. It's not a place that you spend 15, 20 minutes a day, an hour a day reading scripture. It can be part of that. I like to think of it as we actually have a reservoir, a well. And those times are just drinking of the well. <laughs> That's already ours. But I tell you, you live life from the place of Intimacy with Christ. Oneness with Christ. That there isn't a moment in the day that I'm not aware that Jesus is with me. Anybody else? You wake up in the morning, Jesus is there. First thoughts out of your mind, out of your heart, out of your mouth is Jesus. You go to bed and the last thoughts, your pillow's on your head and it's Jesus. I don't know about you. I have to stop several times during the day and I just have to recognize <laughs> Jesus. There is a reservoir within you. The kingdom of God isn't out there. It says, don't look out there. Don't look over there. But know that the kingdom of God is within you. <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> Jesus just did it all on the cross. If you really understand 
what it is to be born again, what it is to be saved, what it is to be called a son of God, a daughter of God. You'll know that there is something within you, that there is a hiding place that I go to often. Why? Because out there, there's trouble. In the world, it's a guarantee you will have trouble. The exceedingly great and precious promises of God, I like to call them. In this world, you have, Paul said it, he said, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will, guaranteed, will suffer persecution. Anybody suffering persecution this morning? Yeah, let's, <laughs> Gladys, oh, I, I love this dear lady. She, on the way in this morning, she had this big smile laughing just like she is now. Well, I've had a heck of a week. Yeah, the rain, you know, my roof is leaking, my stove blew up, and, it's, uh, had, and she goes through all these things that she has to go through, and she's laughing about it. She's in the secret place of the Most High. She has learned how to live from a place where you still see that there's trouble, you still see that there's tribulation, you still see that there's trials, and yet it doesn't affect the posture of her heart. Oh, how many want to find that place? How many want to live from that place? So the, the, this battle for the souls of men is, um, it's not just their eternity, all right? That, that's part of it. But I believe the bigger battle that's raging right now is for the souls of men. Your body, soul, and spirit, right? Your spirit is your God-conscious part, and your body is the physical thing. It mainly has contact with the world, with your physical appetites, everything like that. Your soul is in the middle. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. There are three parts of who you are, and this is what the devil is after. He's after the minds of men. He wants people to believe lies. You know, he's been disarmed. He's been defeated. All authority has been given to Jesus. How much authority does that leave for the devil? Why are we so much more conscious of the devil's power than God's power? I, I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. I'm trying to turn the tables for my own thinking, my own reasoning. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you give your bodies a living sacrifice. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's just reasonable. That's just reasonable act of worship is the way that could be translated. Don't be conformed to this world. How many know the world wants you to conform? The world wants you to think the way they think. They want you to act the way that they act. They want you to reason according to humanistic, man-centered reasoning. How many have seen failure in man's thinking? In fact, Corinthians says that the wisdom of man is actually the foolishness of God. That the foolishness of God is wiser than all the wisdom of man. And yet the systems of this world predominantly function and live out of the reasoning of man. Don't be conformed to this world. How many know that there are, that's a pressure to not be conformed to the thinking of this world. 
Have you ever seen so much peer pressure placed upon people who dare to think what what the Bible thinks about sexuality, for instance? Or what the Bible thinks about generosity? Well, that's foolishness. Why would you give 10%? That's just stupid. That's man's reasoning. I have found the, the beauty of Jesus in being generous. See, but it takes a different way of thinking. The world and the devil with his deception wants you to believe that you're just a sinner. Oh, saved by grace, by the way. But your true identity is you're a sinner. I'll tell you what, you read the scripture, I challenge you to take an honest reading of Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7, and 8 and come away with the idea that you're just still a sinner and that your identity is a sinner. Do we still sin? Did anybody here not sin? I see that, Han. Thank you. No, I, would you lay hands on me? And... I mean, we, we do sin, but does that make us a sinner? No, it makes us saints that have stepped out of our identity in Christ for a moment. But we, this is our place of residing, is in Christ. <laughs> I'm one with Christ. And this is the place that I live from. This is my hiding place. This is my secret place. And when I step out of that place, it doesn't always go so well for me and for the people around me. But I'm not a sinner. I don't belong here. The redemption of Christ is bigger than this. This is why I belong. This is my identity. See, I've heard it taught in the church, well, inside you there's two dogs. There's a black dog and there's a white dog. And the one that you feed the most is the one that's going to win. I just don't believe that. Why don't I believe that? Because I believe that when I was crucified with Christ and buried with him, that I went to the grave with Christ and that thing got deposited. My old nature... My carnal nature, that got deposited in the pit of hell where it belongs. And that when Jesus rose from the dead by the glory of the Father, he didn't grab my old nature and say, well, Dave, you're just going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. You see how preposterous that is? And how many of us have been taught that? Most of our lives, and it's it's kind of a fear-based thing to make sure that you don't sin. I tell you, if you focus on righteousness... If you focus on the goodness of God, if you focus on what has been accomplished in your life, it's way more comfortable over here. Not out in the world it isn't. They think you're stupid. They think you're off your rocker, you know. My old friends don't understand me. The guys that I used to carouse with and do all this stuff, doesn't matter. This has become more foreign to me now than what it was, than, than what that is. This is the, my familiar place now. So the enemy of your soul is after your thought life. Not just to keep you from sin, but who are you in Christ? What has redemption really done? How much of a son and a daughter are you really? Are you just a little bit part of a son or a daughter? I, I don't know if that happens. I've got four kids and they're all mine. The good, the bad, and the ugly of them. <laughs> they're all mine. 
They're not just a little part. Oh, I guess they're half Susie's too. I got to give her, you know, <laughs> the good part. <laughs> Susie. You, you know what I'm saying? We sometimes feel like, well, I'm not really a, 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 good, a good son or a daughter. I'm, I just don't really measure up. But I want you to know you are fully embraced by the Father. The devil wants you to believe that you just will never measure up. The devil wants you to believe that you're still battling in old nature. The devil wants you to believe that your sin is, you've just gone too far. The devil wants you to believe that God has left you, forsaken you. And he's got all these thoughts. It says in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 10.5 or 5.10, I can't remember. But that we take captive every thought, every imagination. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. That there is transformational thinking. We need to believe differently. If we read the word honestly and see what the word says about how one with Christ we are, you'll be blown away. And we need to start thinking that way. We need to start understanding that way. The devil is after the mind of your children. If all you've given them so far is religion, can I encourage you to teach them the gospel? the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you, if you don't know how to teach your children the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, learn it. Learn it. Believe it. Understand it. Comprehend it. Let that be your food. Let that be your drink. Let that be what drives you in this thing. Religion is a lousy taskmaster. Form and ritual just does not cut it. You're invited into the secret place where all the delicacies, all the delights of the kingdom are yours. Oh, this is good news. The next thing that the devil is after is your emotions. He wants you to hate things that he, or that he hates and he wants you to love things that he loves. Let's turn that around. How about if emotionally connected with Christ that I love the things that God loves and I hate the things that God hates? What if in my emotions I don't know, I don't need to be angry? What if emotionally I don't need to be fearful? What if... I've been translated out of a kingdom of a fear-based mentality. The hammer's going to drop over into a faith-based mentality where I know that I am radically loved by God and that I can radically love God. The world looks at me and says, Dave, you're crazy, you're stupid, you're silly. Yeah, but I'm in love. <laughs> Have you ever seen people newly in love? Is there something kind of crazy and stupid about them? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. That's been 45 years ago for me. We just celebrated 45 years of marriage. But God wants you emotionally. Emotions are not your enemy. God loves you through emotion. He loves you through the way you think, the way you reason, the things that you value 
the things that you desire. Do you know that you're born for pleasure? Do you know that is one of the driving factors in the human psyche? That we are born for pleasure? That we're going to find pleasure one way or another? Well, the scripture says that in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, there is a way for pleasure in Christ. The enemy has all sorts of ways that he wants to grab your pleasure and he wants you to have it in cars and in sex and in movies and in entertainment and in pleasure. And You know what I'm saying? Do you see the struggle here? Do you see the tribulation? Do you see the pressure that you live under? The Bible says we're not ignorant of his tactics. I talk very little about the devil, right? You guys that have sat under my teaching for many, many years, I, I don't talk a lot about the devil. But I talk about him enough to know that we need to be wise to his tactics. Because even though he's been disempowered and authority is gone, he's a really good liar. He's got a big mouth. The other thing that the enemy is after in your soul, right? Your mind, your emotions, your thought life, your your emotion is your will. Your decision-making process. That's one of the most important things. That's the ultimate capture for him. Is when he gets you to use your authority to accomplish his purposes. When the devil can convince you to make a decision that doesn't look like Jesus, he succeeded in taking your authority. How many know there is a human authority on earth? That God has given the humankind an authority. The devil doesn't have authority. The only way he can get it is to usurp yours. That's, that's a weighty thought there. That in our decision-making process, that the devil is actually taking your will and using it for his intentions. Oh, come on. I did it again. I should really follow notes, shouldn't I? Um... These are important things. One of the things that I have become to understand is that when God created the heavens and the earth, when he created everything, he created out of the essence of who he is. In other words, when he fashioned the universe, he set in motion laws of love, laws of peace. He can only produce who he is. Does that make sense? So, any, so the, the universe was set up and God said, it is really good. This is good. It looks like me. It looks like my character. It looks like my nature. It looks like I created it. And we find that when we step outside of the way God created everything, that it doesn't go well for us. So the enemy has come and perverted what God created. And he through your soul, through your belief system, through your emotions and through your will, he gets you to walk in a way that is opposite of the character and the nature of God. Can I just say that you have been redeemed, you've been reconciled to God, and now it's more natural to walk in the laws of God. And I'm not talking the Torah. I'm talking the nature 
will, ways of God. It's more natural to you. Psalm 91. David knew something about warfare, didn't he? David also knew something about strongholds, hiding places. When he was running from Saul, it says that he would go up to the stronghold. I've often wondered what that was. It was probably a system of caves and some very rugged land where he could hide and Saul would be in the same cave and Saul didn't know it. I mean, it's like crazy stuff, right? But he called it his stronghold. He that dwells, abides, lives in the secret place of the Most High. That word dwell there means to sit down like a judge. It's a place of rest. It's a place of authority. How many know that when a judge is seated, that's when the court session begins because his authority is established. You, when you dwell, when you sit in that place as a ruler of your own life, in the secret place of the Most High, there's a scripture in Luke 21. Do I have that here? Luke 21, 19 or something. Oh, it's there. Good. He makes this statement right after he's told them that, you know, there's great tribulation coming upon you. You're going to be traded in, you're going to be um, traded in by your parents, by your children, by your brothers, by your sisters, by your closest acquaintances. They're going to be brought into the synagogues. You're going to be murdered. You're going to be maimed. You're going to go through all this kind of tribulation. He makes a statement. But in patience, possess your soul. How many know that you have an ability in Christ? Over here before Christ, I didn't have an ability to possess my soul. The inertia of the world just drove me where it wanted to drive. And I liked it that way. Over here, I have been given the ability to possess my soul. That means that there is a cheerful expectation, a, a cheerful ability to be able to steward that which God has given me. So in all of this tribulation, all of these things, possess your soul. He that dwells is seated, is controlled in this place, of his, in control of his own soul in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That when we come into that place of dwelling, and it's a place of permanence, it's a place where you stay, and you abide, you live. You know, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, and my word abides in you. And then you're going to ask what you will, and there's this beautiful working back and forth of abiding in Christ. It's a place where we live. It's not a place we live or we visit. Well, I guess I'm going to get your input on things today, but Jesus, tomorrow, kind of leave me alone because I want to run my own show here. There's this magnificent place of abiding. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He's my fortress. That's a stronghold. My God, in him I will trust. This is the secret place that we have. This is the secret place where the world has all these pressures. This is the secret place from which we live. 
I know my God. He is near me. I draw near to him. He draws near to me. I'm near enough to him that I'm actually under the shadow of his wings. And a picture is there of a mother hand grabbing her chicks and protecting them from an oncoming storm. And we know, we know the picture. But there's protection. There's covering. David knew these things. How many know that David had physical enemies, but he also knew the same devil that we know? If you read his writings closely, he oftentimes had to wrestle with principalities and powers and understood. And his wrestling was not from a place of strength. It was from a place of weakness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They'll see the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes, the entrance into the kingdom of God as Jesus starts to preach his sermon. Why? David was a man who knew he was poor and needy. He knew that as far as things pertaining to his strength, that he was poor and needy. He was probably one of the richest people in, well, he was the richest person in the nation at that time, probably in the territory, in the region. He didn't have physical needs, but he knew his spiritual needs. Can I just encourage you that, well, Luke prophesied it years ago. I'll always remember this. He said, the strength of man is a stench with God. That's heavy. There is a place of weakness coming into the secret place of the Most High. Uh, you're not made to climb that escalator in your own strength. Paul found it. In my weakness, you are made strong. There is something about finding our weakness and actually embracing our weakness. Delighting in our weakness. Now, how many know that the world thinks that's stupid? Be strong. Assert yourself. Get your rights. There's something in the kingdom when we can discover our weakness and embrace it and see it as a doorway into the strength of our God, the strength of our King. There's something liberating about that. I don't have to strive to show everybody how strong I am. I don't have to overpower everybody with my arguments, with my wisdom, with my smarts. I don't have to do any of that. Why? Because I'm weak. The older I get, the weaker I can see that I'm becoming. <laughs> Not just physically. I'm talking, I'm understanding. The grace of God is so much more majestic than I've ever understood. The strength of God is much larger than I've ever dreamed possible. And when I can come to the end of myself and say, man, I need you, Jesus. You don't know how weak I felt about preaching this morning. I, I, you know, I, I get so many thoughts, so many ideas. You should see my notes. They're so messy. You can follow them if you, if you tried. And I'm so aware. Just so aware. That is the strength of the God that is available to us. When you're dwelling, when you're living, when you're abiding in the secret place, 
you are actually partaking of the fat and the strength and the nourishment of the king. This is a place you never want to leave. This secret place is available. It's yours. It's not something that God dangles in front of you and says, well, if you jump through all the hoops, you'll get it. All you do is you just draw near to him. He draws near to you. In times of trouble, in times of failure, in times of sin. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. Not arrogantly, never arrogantly. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find help in our time of need. Well, I've got it all together today, God. I don't think I'm going to approach your throne, you know. That's a good way to fall on your face. But in our time of need, in time of weakness, there's something that delights the heart of God when we understand human weakness. And how he can strengthen the weakest of us to accomplish amazing things for his kingdom's sake. There's an invitation. Read Psalm 91. You know, there's an interesting shift. You can read the whole thing, but there's an interesting shift that happens in verse 9. Because you have made the Lord. All of a sudden, David changes, and he's talking about somebody else. He's not talking about himself. And this psalm was actually quoted. How many know the devil knows the scripture? And the devil quoted these scriptures to Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness. And so David starts to prophesy about the coming Messiah who is, you know, that Jesus was our model. Jesus, oneness with Christ, it says in... um, Romans chapter 8, that we are heirs with Christ, joint heirs with Christ. Do you know how close that makes us? We're one, and everything that Jesus has, he has given to us. It's available. This is truth. Now, it takes a while to figure that out. (laughs) And it actually takes a while to be able to steward that. And by God's grace, he doesn't give us more than what we have learned how to steward. But in the secret place, that's where we learn stewardship. That's where we learn the strength of our king, the strength of our God. That's where Jesus learned it. I think Renee had a great, great quote a couple of weeks ago. So Jesus needed it, but you don't? Oh, that secret place, yes. It's not one or the other. It's not this place of abiding in the secret place. And, well, I take time out of my day to go to the secret place. It's both. It's both. I tend to think those times that I go during the day, those times that I set aside to be in the secret place with my God, I'm already there in spirit, and I I just come to drink. And I come to be nourished. And I come to be established in the secret place. I tell you, everything that pertains to this life and godliness has been given to you in Christ Jesus. In Christ. He's our secret place. He's our place of abiding. You don't have to leave there. It's a happy dance.
<laughs> I can see you happy dancing in your chairs there. <laughs> Let's stand together. I want to encourage you. There are some here that all this talk of intimacy and secret place and all that, it can be a bit foreign. It can be a bit intimidating. And you look at Renee and think, wow, how could I ever be like Renee? You are individuals. You are individually loved. And a secret place for you is an invitation from the Father. It's an invitation that all you do is you say, God, <laughs> I'm weak. I don't get this secret place stuff. It doesn't resonate to me. I'll tell you, he'll meet you. He'll meet you. He'll bring you in. He'll love on you. Because you're a son. You're a daughter. And he's a good, good daddy. He's a good father. So I just want to release grace over you as a body to receive the invitation and to answer the invitation of this mysterious thing we've been talking about for, what is it, a couple of months now, a month and a half, called the secret place. Father, I pray every person here would be able to touch on what the secret place looks like for them that it is found in Christ, in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Father, would you just move with a new grace upon us as a body to hunger, to thirst, to desire this secret place. Confront us with our weaknesses, O oh God. Confront us with what we think is our strength. God, bring down the high and the lofty imaginations that we built up, those strongholds that actually oppose the secret place. Father, I pray that in the secret place we would each love you with all of our hearts. And from the secret place we will make decisions that look like your kingdom, that look like your glory, that look like your goodness. Just release this grace upon each of us, Father. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I need more. Father, would you just stir that hunger? Stir that hunger, God. Not just in this church, but in the church in the United States of America. God, that we are in a battle of affluence, of not needing. We're not poor and needy. So, Father, would you help us to fight from a position of weakness this battle of affluence? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.